I'll probably deny I ever said this to you. Not really, but um, for years, oh, 35 years, I think, I've always said that the Saturday night mass, my first mass is my guinea pig mass because I, I try out my ideas and then I either kind of like them and go with them or develop them a little further or I make some changes. Um, the reason is I, I, I just can't write out homilies. I, I do write out a reflection on the Word of God every day for, for the Facebook page. And it's, that's the easy one right? because it, it focuses me and I, and I try and do it in as few words as possible, get a clear image, and, and it works. But I just can't memorize it and I don't like to bring out something I've written because in the seminary, our speech and homily professor said we had to write out a homily and give it to the class. And they're the worst critics in the world. They would, they would complain because you blink too many times or silly things. But um, you had to write it out and then give it, and he filmed you and recorded you, and then he would critique it. But when you did it, uh, you couldn't have notes or anything. So he said, you memorize the beginning and the end and make sure the beginning is good and the end is good, and then have at least a clear, in your mind, an outline of the body of it. And you can change that, you can forget things, you know, just do the basic outline, but a good beginning and a strong end. So, I have a friend, I've known him since the high school seminary, he's a priest, and he writes out his homily, oh, he works hard on it, he does a good job, but he reads it every Sunday, he's been doing it all his life. He broke the basic rule that we learned in homily lakes. He reads it, and um, so I always like to torture him, I'm going to torture him tonight. And I'll ask him, how did your homily go today? And this is what he'll say, probably. Well, on Saturday night, I gave it the first time. It went, it was pretty good. But at 8 in the morning, it bombed. It just bombed. So, and then, I, and then he says, and then at 11 o'clock, it went, it went, it was the best one. So I say to him, um, if it bombed at 8, why would you give the same one at 11? I have to. I wrote it out. That's what I read. So he doesn't change it no matter what, but I do. Um, the first time I ever preached as a deacon was on May 10th, 1975. And uh, I was ordained that morning in St. Basil's because St. Uh, uh, Viviana was under reconstruction after an earthquake, I think. And so we had our ordination mass at St. Basil's. And that afternoon in my home parish of St. Charles, I preached the first time as a deacon. And my sister and brother-in-law and the, their seven girls came down from Bakersfield, and they were there. And, and then it happened. My second old niece, Donna, did this. I'm preaching. I'm, I'm just barely beginning. She goes like this. Ooh, I almost went crazy. I, I couldn't show it. She says, it's too long and boring. Stop, you know? So... Uh, Whenever I preach, I notice if someone's dozing off, oh my God, I'm going to do something about that. And if people start looking around too much, don't do it. Don't look at your watch. <laughs> don't provoke me today, but, but I will, it, it gets me because I, I want it to be effective. So if I'm boring people, I thought, oh my God, I got to do something different. So um, today, we have the first Sunday of Lent. And uh, last night I gave my uh, preaching to the guinea pigs. 
And I, I felt I was not swimming but drowning. I, I just, it, that second reading is such a difficult text. And uh, my, uh, my lector last night said, you want to read the long one or the short one? I said, you do whatever the spirit moves you. What? He said, but I noticed you did the short one a week ago. I said, I did. I did. He said, well, I, uh, you decide. I said, no, you decide. So he read the short one. Thanks be to God. My lector at this mass said the same thing. Which one? I said, oh, please, the short one. She said, thank you. Because the long one is just like, oh, God, get over it, Paul. Finish. Get to the point. But the second one is, is concise, and it says it just beautifully. So um, I was frustrated last night, and I went to bed, and I woke up in the middle of the night, and I, it hit me like just a bomb went off in my head. It's about mystery, the mystery of sin. And sin really is a mystery. It's a mystery. And if we get that, we can deal with it much better. So let me tell you part of the mystery, because Paul says this also in the letter of the Romans, I believe. And he, uh, he says this. He's describing the power of sin and how it affects him. He says, I do not understand what I do. For what I want to do, for, no, for what I want to do, I do not do. But what I hate, I do. And if I do what I do not want to do, I agree that the law is good. As it is, it is no longer I myself who do it, but it is sin living in me. For I know that good itself does not dwell in me, that is, in my sinful nature. For I have the desire to do what is good, but I cannot carry it out. For I do not do the good I want to do, but the evil I do not want to do. This I keep on doing. Now, if I do what I do not want to do, it is no longer I who do it, but it is sin living in me that does it. Wow. The power of sin. So how would you describe, not sins like lying, cheating, stealing, uh, eating too much. You know, we can name all those, those sins. But the power of sin. And I'm convinced the only way to get at things like this are through stories. And they don't have to have happened. For example, the story of Pinocchio. This is my favorite example. What a dumb story. Geppetto makes a, a, a wooden puppet. But the puppet can talk and think like a real-life person. But it's a puppet. It's wood. And he goes back and forth with the Geppetto. And I forget all the story, all the details, but he begins to lie and his nose starts growing. This wooden nose grows. Get that one. And it grows so big, and maybe uh, there's a commercial on television, Progressive Insurance, I think, or whatever, and uh, Pinocchio's nose keeps growing, and he goes to the restaurant and knocks over uh, dishes and things from tables because his nose is so long. But what happens when he tells the truth? Boo! Back to normal size, and then he turns into a real, live, fleshy boy. A real boy. What a dumb story. I mean, it never happened. It couldn't happen. And yet the story delivers the goods. The story teaches us about the power of the sin of lying. How false and more wooden and distorted we become. And only when we tell the truth do we become the real person that we can be. And in that story, we get at the mystery of the power of lying and the danger and terrible things it does to us. So likewise... Through story, we get to the mystery of sin. Now, interestingly, that second short reading 
is like two eyeballs looking in different directions. It looks, and Paul describes it beautifully. He says, through one man came sin, and through one man came redemption. And through transgression, the one man, and through the other one, an act of obedience and salvation. And through disobedience came sin, and through obedience came salvation. So we look at those two readings, and the first story over here is perhaps more ridiculous uh, in the details. A talking snake? Please. We can all deal with a hissing snake, but a, a snake that can talk like a human being starts talking to Eve? And what is this business? Why does God do this? What kind of a test is this? I made all these trees, eat all the fruit you want, but just don't eat from that one tree. And if you do, let me tell you, you will die. You will die. So Eve and Adam don't do it. They're not that stupid until a talking snake comes along. And the talking snake says, why did you eat from that tree? Well, God told us not to do it or we would die. Oh, you won't die. Psst. You won't die. He doesn't want you to eat from it because if you do, you'll become like him. You'll become a god. Now that's a temptation. What if I could offer you a pill to be like God? How many would take it? Or how many people, let's say, there's nobody here that fits even anything near this description. You weighed 552 pounds. And I said, take this pill for two months and you will lose 200 of those pounds. And it will be safe and you'll be good. Would the 552-pound person do it? I bet they would. And what if I had a pill to grow hair back? Would I do it? I don't know. Maybe. <laughs> I think they're out there anyway, but I've never tried one. So the devil tempts. Ooh, what a temptation. You want to be like God? That's why he doesn't want you to eat it. You want to eat it. Eat it. Okay. She does. Now, according to the story, her eyes should have been opened right there, but they weren't. She then tempted Adam, he ate, and then both of their eyes were open. What's this about? It's a story. And it talks about individual sin and communal sin. How we can sin ourselves and how we can tempt others too. We become like that snake, in a sense. So in this story, we're getting this mystery of sin. Can it be as simple as eating an apple? How stupid? But look at our sins. For example, why do we lie? Everybody lies sometime in their life. And we, we even do it so much that we even say, well, it wasn't a big lie, it was a little white lie. That's how we get out of the guilt. It was a little white lie. And why do we do it? Sometimes to look better than we are, to save our reputation. Uh, lying is, is just one of those things that, that when we do it, we become a little more false, and yet we do it, like Paul says. I don't want to do it, but I do it. And the mystery of sin, it is valuable and worthwhile for us in that story to talk about that mystery because it's so invasive. It gets into us, and, and it can really affect our lives. And then sometimes we can sin in some really huge ways that, that cause us to be filled with shame. I'll tell you, 
my favorite confessions are not the little, well, I lied four times, well, I said two bad words, I missed Mass one Sunday. Uh, okay. Um, that's like popcorn, being hit with popcorn. But I love a confession when somebody comes and says, Father, I haven't been to confession since my first communion. It's the first one. Woo, here we go. And then they start. I've been leading a terrible life, and I'm so ashamed. I, I, I hate it, and I don't want it anymore. And I want God to know my sincere love. I want healing. Woo! This is a confession. And this is somebody who is asking God to lift off their shoulders the power of that mystery of sin that has been crushing them from the inside out. Crushing them. And they get healing. They find the grace. They find the grace of that. Now, it's in these stories, and this one is even a little more uh, amazing, but at least there's a reality to it. But this one should be filmed. It should be done on film. Somebody should do it with all the special effects or even in cartoon format because then it could work. Because literally, it makes no sense. Nonsense. I mean, the details are beautiful. Uh, the Spirit of God leads Jesus into the desert to be tempted. Now, isn't that a good one? The Spirit led Jesus so that he would be tempted. But it gets better. Jesus fasted for 40 days and 40 nights, no food and no drink, which is impossible anyway. You could not not drink water for 40 days and nights and, and live. You'd be dead. But another detail. But it's after 40 days and 40 nights, no food, no water, and he is tired, and he is exhausted, and he is very, very weak. And at that moment comes a temptation. Now, that's the truth. That's the mystery of sin and temptation. It's often in our weakness. It's often when we're anxious or tired or frustrated or our feelings are all over the place that, that sin hits us the most, the mystery of sin. We're in a weakened place, and that's when Jesus was tempted. But what happened to Jesus? His strength came out like mad. First, the devil says to him, uh, here, I can change all these uh, stones into bread for you to eat. And Jesus comes right back. Not on bread alone does man live, but on the word of God. Shut up, Satan. So Satan comes back again, tells him to worship me. And in these temptations, now he takes him in an instant, great story, in an instant, do it on film, to the parapet of the temple, the highest point, the highest point of the steeple, of the tower, of the uh, whatever, the very highest point, the parapet. And he tempts him, and Jesus is, no, Satan. Mm -mm. Uh -uh. Then, in an instant, he goes to a mountain, not to the base of the mountain, to the top of the highest mountain. This is only something you could do with special effects. It doesn't say that they took a week to climb the mountain. It says in an instant, he's at the top of the highest mountain, tempting him again. And he says, get the H-E-L out of here. Get out. Leave me, Satan. And Satan leaves him. Satan leaves him. So we see again the mystery of temptation and sin, but this one, this one could not be tempted. Because in temptation, he trusted even more in his father. 
he opens himself even more to the grace of God. And so we have placed before us this great mystery as we start the season of Lent. And we imitate Jesus. We're going to go into the desert, our desert escape for 40 days and 40 nights. Some of us will fast. Some of us will drink less. Some of us will do this less or do that more or whatever. Do some things to stir up, stir up and respond to the grace of this 40 days and 40 nights with wonderful scriptures, wonderful word of God to get inside of us and work on us. And as we do it, this is the conviction that we have. We do a good Lent so that we can do a good Easter. And if we allow ourselves, even in a kind of a weakened condition, you know, uh, trusting more and even stripping ourselves of some of the excess that we have, maybe some wonderful things will happen. I've suggested before this, and I, I, I do it, it's, it's no big thing, but uh, if I come to the end of the freeway and there's somebody out there and I, I can... Uh, the car has stopped and we're not moving. I'll reach in. I get a couple $1 bills and give the person. They're always, thank you so much. Thank you so much. Can you imagine you haven't eaten for two days and you get a couple bucks and you go to McDonald's and, and, and just stoke out on fries and get some stuff inside of you. So this year I said to myself, self, come on, do something more. And I decide, I haven't done it yet. I, I, I keep saying it, but I keep forgetting. I know right where they are in my room. But I have a stack of $5 bills. And I said, I'm going to give one $5 bill away every single day to somebody. Now, that's nothing. I'm not tuning my horn. That's not a big thing. In 40 days, that's only $200. That's nothing. Nothing. But what would it be if I were living on the streets to receive a $5 bill from some stranger, asking nothing from me in return, not even asking my thanks, but I bet you, I bet you I'd give those thanks. So I say to myself, Perry Dean Liker, come on, loosen up. Let go of some of this stuff, this paper stuff that we depend on so much, but we don't need all of it as much as we think we do. And what may happen on my journey if I faithfully follow this and let myself come to Easter to celebrate the great resurrection, the new life that come out of death because of trust and faith and God's wondrous power. So today, as we begin this first Sunday of Lent, we're being invited in. And, and I hope we, we do it. You know, uh, one dream I would have this year, as many as you could would come to the Easter Vigil Mass. It's, it's amazing. And I know there's a lot of people in the church who've never been to an Easter Vigil, a lot who've never been to Holy Thursday. A lot who've never been to a Good Friday. And that Holy Week is just extraordinary. But we've got about 12 kids who are going to be baptized and confirmed to receive First Eucharist. We had their massive elect election this morning at 8. And, and I invited that whole church to come to the vigil because I thought these kids have had these people praying with them and for them uh, for many, many weeks now. And we'll do it during this season of Lent. And how wonderful if the church were so stuffed that people were standing as these kids received these sacraments. I tell you, and we know it, intuitively we know it, Lent is special. It's our spring cleaning. It's our time to take a good look in the mirror and say, Perry Dean Liker, 
Is this all you can be? Is there anything you want to get rid of in your life? Is there anything you'd like more of? This is a chance to let the grace of God enter in and do some wondrous things. Touch the mystery of sin with the mystery of grace. And who knows? I know God knows. But who among us knows what might just happen?